from smooth talker to not so smooth criminal, this is part two of the charming squatter, Sean Great, on Monsters of the Midwest. Welcome. Welcome on back. We are going for part two of a three-part series because there's just so much shit in this case. I can't I can't cover it in two episodes. It's just it's too much. Hey, I know that feeling. Yeah. So I'm just gonna recap a little bit because I found some interesting nuggets. Uh we left off last week's episode by telling you about Sean's early life the 911 call that got him detained by police and what two of his exes went through while in their relationship with him. Uh, But before we get started with the meat and potatoes of everything, I want to talk about the Dr. Phil episode snippets that I watched to do research on this case because the way that YouTube does their uh, algorithm and things, the way that they released these snippets were out of order. So it was kind of hard for me to like get everything in order without watching the full episode. Mm, Yeah. And who wants to watch a, who wants to watch a full Dr. Phil? Definitely not me. I don't either, but (laughs) (laughs) this one was more like a, it wasn't on stage. It was more like a one-on-one interview type thing. Okay. So, um, Dr. Phil is showing Amber, his ex-wife, Two printouts of special occasion cards, like birthday cards or Valentine's Day cards, whatever, that were mailed to Amber's daughter. There was no return address, no name inside the card, and a $5 bill in each one of them. So keep this in mind. Oh, I hate it already. (laughs) The interesting part about all this, uh, remember, you know, Sean didn't have a job at the time of his arrest. Uh, He was squatting in the vacant home just to have a roof over his head, and now he's being held in jail. Uh, So where is he getting the money? Right, right. Uh, Well, for those of you who are just getting into true crime, uh, and I didn't really know this, but I had to do some research, there are websites that you can buy and sell serial killer memorabilia. Uh, It's called Murderbilia to a lot of people. And I'm not going to list sites because if you want to know, then you'll Google it. You'll figure it out. Right. But Amber believes that Sean Great sold some things on one of the websites and received money for these items. So that's a little interesting nugget that I stumbled upon. And then I, I didn't know for sure if this was true. So I had to do a little digging. And there are drawings of his hands signed by him. So he, he traced his hands and wrote stuff in the hands and signed his name, which I will uh, post on our socials because it's pretty interesting. Like anybody could do that, right? But... There's so much more that happened behind the scenes here and like during the trials and stuff. So uh, we're going to talk about the interrogation 
you know, directly what happened after he was detained by police. Okay. And before we get into the interrogation, I'll be putting a timeline of Sean's romantic entanglements and how his abuse patterns evolved on our Buy Me a Coffee page, including some items not covered in this episode or, or any of the others. So that is that for the business. Now I'm going to get into the interrogation, which is so nuts. And it, it's kind of scattered. The, the way that the interrogation ends up happening is it's done in two parts. Like two interrogators will question him because there's two people involved and they want to get both sides of the story. Right. Both of the interrogators are with one of the people. One is talking to Jane. The other one's talking to Sean. Then they switch off just Jane's, to get full full. She's stories. the wife, right? Um. Oh no, she is the kidnap victim. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So she's referred to as Jane because they want to keep her identity private because right, she's okay. obviously the victim. Right. So the de- the um detectives that are interrogating Sean first is David Lay and then the second is Kim Majors so the first one he he goes into the room and he's just really calm he's he's cool he's collected it's super early in the morning everyone's tired he's just been drugged to the station to get asked questions so obviously in in the room it's very it almost looks like a sterile environment you know there's bland walls shitty carpet it's just an interrogation room if you've ever seen one or ever been in one you know exactly what i'm talking about turns out sean great's not that great he's uh he's a monster and these Detectives are trying to get as much information out of him as possible. So, like I said before, he's using like the Jekyll and Hyde model where he's super nice and love bombs you and wants you to feel really appreciated. And then, as soon as he's got you where he wants you, he flips a switch and that's it. So, police talk to Jane Doe about her abduction. And now Sean's questioned by detectives about the series of events that landed him in police custody. Uh, asking where he met Jane is, you know, where, where did you guys meet? What, how do you know each other? Sean tells the detective he met her at the Salvation Army Croc Center. So this place is similar to like a YMCA. Um, it's Christian-based They have activities and free lunches. So I went to a rec center in my old neighborhood up north, and they did the same thing. You know, you sign up, you sign your name so they know how many box lunches to make the next day, and you get a free box lunch between these certain hours, and there's free activities for you to do. Foosball, tennis, swimming, things like that. So it's basically, you know, just a rec center. Gotcha. So they serve lunches during the week, and that's how he came in contact with her, only knowing her for about two months at the time that he has been detained. They they would take walks together. 
They'd eat lunch together, talk. She's very religious. She would, you know, recite Bible verses for him and just that she's just genuinely a nice person that wants other people to succeed, you know, feel okay. like they're worth it. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Love that. Yeah. Just a nice guy down on his luck. She said she viewed him as a quirky older brother. So this tells you the dynamic of their relationship right here. He already got friend zoned. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. I bet he loves so that. So in the beginning. Yeah. So in the beginning of this interrogation process, Sean talks about Jane as though she's a woman who's getting cold feet about getting married. Oh. Saying she told. Yeah. Saying she told Sean that she is a good Christian woman who's waiting till marriage to have sex. Okay. Okay. Seems about right. You know, everybody has their moral standards and she's she's got really good beliefs and values and she doesn't stray from that. I don't know if Sean is taking this as a challenge to see how far he can push the boundaries with her. But well, probably. It seem, yeah, it definitely seems like it to me. So he expressed to her he's looking for more than friendship, but she obviously didn't feel the same way about him. She never exchanged numbers with him, and she would not allow him to enter her apartment under any circumstances. So I'm assuming, you know, they may have gone on a walk together, and he may have walked her to the apartment complex where she lives, but she never let him inside. Good on her. Right. So we know that Sean is a man who likes to move quickly in his relationships, too. Because as we know from the previous two that we talked about, about in um part one they're not they're not together very long before things just like start snowballing into something they get married and moving in together and this and that it's so like in an instant almost right you would think he was in a dyke relationship i'm just saying though you hauling (laughs) having babies moving in all of it it's just crazy so when sean's asked where he's from he tells detective lay he's from mansfield it's in, now Mansfield is in Richland County, which is the neighboring county. And he ran away because of child support issues from his ex-wife. He's so, just a stand-up gentleman, isn't he? <laughs> he's Jeez. just such a such a nice guy. There are there are actually phone calls that Sean leaves on Amber, his ex-wife's cell phone, that says you know, uh, you won't let me see my daughter and I'm supposed to be paying you this child support. So either you let me see her or I need that money back. Like, no, dog. That's not how that works. That is not how that works, sir. (laughs) No. He's like, well, I'd rather, you know, I'd rather see her, but she, uh, you know, if you're not going to let me see her, I could really use that money back. It's like, dude, come on. God. (laughs) Just making yeah. her just cringe as he, she's hearing those, I'm sure. I'm, yes. So when Detective Lay asks whose house Sean is staying at, Sean is up front with them. He says he doesn't know whose house it is. He broke in. He's squatting there. He needed a roof over his head. And uh, detec- the de- Detective Lay just praises him on his honesty. He's like, yeah, you know, I appreciate you being honest with me. And he uses that. 
and he'll bring it up again and again. You know, you were honest with me when you said you were squatting in this house. Now I need more honesty from you in order to keep this thing going and, you know, get all the information we need to move forward and move past this. Because as a detective, you want them to know, hey, you were honest in this instance. Now I need you to continue that for me. Right. The interrogation process is going as planned. Sean starts talking about his relationship with Jane. Uh, He starts telling the detective that Sean was, you know, he was trying to get to a point with Jane where she would give in. And it's just not working. It's not working. Sean says she starts talking about this guy named Daniel possibly an ex-boyfriend or someone she's interested in currently. I'm not really sure. When Sean says this, though, he said, I lost it. I lost it when she started talking about him. Hmm. And, now, and now it's jealousy, right? Yeah. You don't want to be with me, but you'd rather be with this Daniel guy. I don't like that. I think it's really, really scary to be... Yeah. In alone in a house with someone like that. Yeah, because he's probably like, well, if you don't like me, then you're not going to like anybody at all. Watch. <laughs> so you remember from the first episode. Um, Amber and him, his ex-wife, they were only together for four months before they got married. So now I think for whatever reason, Sean may feel like he's losing his ability to charm the pants off of somebody. Uh, possibly tricking him into getting married before realizing who he actually is. And it's making him angry. It's upsetting him. And now his true colors are showing and he takes it out on Jane while she's in the house. Oh. Yeah. So he's trying to be romantically involved with women who are seemingly stable or already have a home, some sort of roof over the, their heads, so he can, you know, he could basically be a leech and just live off of them and have someone take care of him so he doesn't have to do it himself. And now the interrogation process, he starts breaking down and starts confessing to abducting Jane. Oh, shit. So at first, yeah, at first he said, no, you know, she just came over and we started talking or whatever. And then things just started spiraling out of control. When in all actuality, this is what happens. So he gets her in the house. She's in the living room. She starts sitting, she sits down, she starts reading passages from the Bible. I'm assuming she has it in her purse or she has one of those um, Bible clutches that has like a zipper pouch. Oh, yeah. So she's sitting down in the living room. She's reading the Bible. He said, hey, I have some clothes for you. So just hang tight. I'll go get them. And he goes in the kitchen and pretends to get clothing. And when he comes back, locks the door snatches the Bible out of her hand and said, you aren't going anywhere. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's so terrifying because she, she knows that it's 
this is it. Like something bad is about to happen and she's smaller. She can't really fight him off. Like, you know, she's no match. And so she just said, I knew when he grabbed me that she was kicking and screaming and trying to get away from him. And it was, it was a lost cause. She knew she couldn't escape. So she just, she had to stay there. Oh, that's absolutely Uh, terrifying and sickening. I know. I know. So the house is in shambles. Obviously there's electric, but no running water. You can tell someone isn't keeping up with the housework. Not only that, but in the photos we're going to share, they're clearly items of clothing that are being used as restraints tied to various pieces of furniture. Oh, God. So, for example, yeah, you can see a mattress that's pushed up against the wall in one of these photos. And the photo's taken from the doorway. So, the mattress side that's facing you, it, the mattress is so old, it has those handles that you used to be able to like move the mattress with. And they haven't made mattresses with handles in a long time. So you can clearly see that there's items of clothing that have been tied to those that were used to restrain her. And there's also a chair that there are things um, tied to the chair. It's one of those that has the slats in the back. Okay. And, she had been also tied to that. So the next step was to establish that Sean forced Jane to have sex against her will. I mean, you have to, you have to ask the the difficult questions in order to get a confession out of someone. And as Sean is sitting, I just had to look up the pictures of the house. First of all, freaking gross. Holy shit. Yes. Like disgusting. And then I see what you're saying about the handles on the bed, how there's like, Articles of clothing that are tied to... Oh, God, that is ter- that's terrifying. So this right. is the, the house he was squatting at? Is yes, that's the house okay. that they... Mm-hmm, that's across the street from the 4th um, Street laundromat. Okay, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So as Sean is, sits through this these barrage of questions that Detective Lay is asking, he starts to reveal that he cares for Jane, saying he was never going to harm her in any way. They were just playing around as Sean starts to try to paint a picture of two lovers who, ju- who are just, like, goofing around on the bed together. What? Mm-hmm. He's got her captive. That's that's playing around? I don't think so, Sarah. You are delusional as fuck. Yeah, not. So Sean slips up and says Jane was saying things like no and don't. But brushing it off in a casual way, like, oh, haha, no, stop it. But in actuality, she was like saying, no, like, I don't want this. Right. Jeez. Uh, so the detective asked Sean what Jane meant by this. Like, what did she mean by that? You know? So he would get him to say what he wants him to say. And this is just the beginning of him establishing that Jane was sexually assaulted against her will which constitutes rape that is you know you say no it happens right it is what it is right cut and dry that's what it is buddy right sean dances around the question until detective lay just comes right out and asks so did you two have sex i mean quit the bullshit right yeah 
at what at, at this time Sean says, "Yeah." Like almost in a way like you know how one of your kids gets in trouble, you're like, "Right. Did you did you do this?" Yeah. That's yeah. exactly how he sounds. So oh, he God. knows that this is wrong, and yet he still continues to dip and dodge the questions like he has no idea. Why why would you ask me that? So Jeez. Detective Lay also asks about physically assaulting her. Uh, she sustained some injuries, uh, one being a fat lip uh, that she sustained from Sean's hand. So, yeah, Sean's, Sean about hitting her. said, yeah, you know, she's got a black uh, a busted lip. So did you assault her? And he, he says, yeah, I hit her a couple times. Then he proceeds to point out his hand. Yeah, that's where I got this from. So he's got a cut on his hand, which when he hit her, he grazed one of her teeth and it cut him. So that's how hard he hit her. Jeez. Welcome to Sean's pity party, everyone. Yeah, right. Let's all feel bad for him. Sounds terrible. Right. We interrupt your regularly scheduled debauchery to talk to you about some other cool cats. Hi, I'm Sean McCabe. And I'm Carrie McCabe. We are, well, married, obviously, <laughs> but we're also obsessed with the darker side of things. True crime stories, alien abductions, poltergeists. If it leaves you scratching your head and keeping those lights on at night, we want to hear about it. That's why we host the podcast Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Every week, we bring our listeners a true story guaranteed to send chills down your spine, from history's most brutal serial killers to the mystery of spontaneous human combustion. Yep, lots of these stories leave unanswered questions behind, and you'll get to poke through the rubble of the evidence with a hardened skeptic and... Someone whose mind is more open to fun. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> The show really feels like just kicking back with us at home and chatting about monsters and tragedies, but having a few laughs along the way. Just like we'd be doing if the mics were off, frankly. <laughs> you can find Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie wherever you get your podcasts and on social media at Ain't It Scary. Come play with us. Forever and ever and ever. What do you think? Their links are in the description, so go check them out, you turkeys. Time to agitate the gravel and get back to Coolsville. So, you know, it. this is not going very well for Sean. However, he tries to keep reiterating the fact that, you know, she's saying, yeah, she'll marry me. No, she won't marry me. It's just, it's really confusing, and she's leading me on. She's not. She's not doing that. She's not leading you on. You're painting this picture that clearly doesn't exist. Yeah, no kidding. So, hold on. I had to put my phone on silent. Someone was messaging me. Okay. So the interrogation continues. Detective Lay at the 35-minute mark, he starts to shift the question to a possible connection with another missing woman from the area. Detective Lay asks Sean if he knows anyone else from the apartment complex that Jane lives in. 
at first, Sean plays it off, that John guy, but clearly that's not what the detective is asking. And who the fuck is that John guy? I have no idea. It's never covered in any of the articles or anything that I read, nor is it elaborated on in the interrogation. So that John guy, who knows who the hell that guy is? Shit. The person in question is Elizabeth Griffith. She'd been missing for about a month, and the detectives had a few questions about her whereabouts. Like, you know, any any detective who's been working this case knows, hey, this is the same apartment complex as Jane. They live in the same apartment complex. Now they want to know, hey, you've been around this area you kind of seem like a squirrely type of guy. Do you know anything about her? Do you even know her? Sean gets, gets asked these questions, and you can see in the interrogation video, he starts to hunch over and become, like, pretty quiet. He doesn't really say that he knows her at first. And when Detective Lay says, do you know an Elizabeth? Uh, Sean tiptoes around it. And he says, yeah, he's seen her once before, explaining when him and Jane were playing badminton in the courtyard of the apartment complex, she'd come out, say hi, she'd hang out for a little bit and talk. So clearly he knows who she is. Got your hand caught in the cookie jar, didn't you, Joanna? (laughs) Yeah. So Elizabeth Griffith was 29 years old at the time of her disappearance. She would frequent the Croc Center. And she was also an avid churchgoer. Friends describe her as happy, smiling, always willing to help when she could. But she suffered from mental health problems. So she has paranoid schizophrenia with mania. And she was monitored by a health professional and had a caseworker as well. Okay. So there's actually a mental health aware line that she would frequently call to talk about her auditory and visual hallucinations. Her condition became so severe that in one instance, she poured kerosene on her head and set her head on fire to try to make the hallucination stop. Oh my God, that's awful. So clearly this woman is not well and she needs monitoring and The people in the neighborhood know her. The people at the Croc Center know her. For her to miss an appointment is way out of character for her. Yeah. So August 15th, 2016, Elizabeth starts missing therapy appointments. And on September 7th, a missing person report is filed. Now I had to do some digging. But I don't know why it took him so long when she has these mental health problems for them to file a missing person report. Right. It's beyond me. Because of her being a risk or a danger to herself because of the kerosene incident, I would think that her healthcare professional would report her immediately or at least, you know, a few days afterwards, keep calling her, she's not answering, something's wrong. Yeah, exactly. You so know how they are with digging. missing person, person's reports. So, I mean... The rules and regulations or stipulations for that are so absolutely ridiculous. How they wait, you know, some states will wait, you know, 48 hours, even if it's a child. It just, it's so stupid. I hope we can get that under control moving forward as just, you know, people in general. So in Ohio, 
I did do some research because I did want to know. In Ohio, Ohio law requires that all missing persons should be filed by local law enforcement and entered in the information given into the National Crime Information Center database. So this information must be posted to NCIC immediately for adults 18 to 21 years of age. Oh, nice. Any, yeah, any adult over the age of 21, local law enforcement has seven days to enter the information if foul play is involved and 30 days if no foul play is involved or suspected. So my assumption of this is that something got mixed up because whoever filed the missing persons report if they didn't say hey i think some foul play happened because remember she's mentally unwell she right. could have had an episode or something i mean there's there's something that they could have done and for some reason it took you know 2 3 weeks for them to file i just don't understand yeah i don't get it either i don't know it mm. yeah I'm going to post the Ohio Attorney General uh, website for filing missing persons reports, also Amber Alerts and everything, on our Facebook page. So if anyone is looking or knows anyone that might be missing, I'll post it on there so it's easily clickable. So her therapist case and caseworker know her schedule like the back of their hand and knows that this is out of character for her. Detective Lay, however, he's working out a possible timeline and connections between Jane Doe and Elizabeth Griffith. When asked, when did you meet Elizabeth? Sean says two months ago. So the question shifts. Sean's being asked if him and Elizabeth had had any sort of physical relationship with each other. Sean almost looks disgusted in the video. He starts saying, uh, you know, Elizabeth would just talk a lot. Like, she just doesn't shut up. He mentions that she's just trying to find her way in this world and trying to figure out what to do with herself. I'm like, okay. Mm. So what, he's I mean, too good for her? Or what? I'm not really sure. Because of her mental instability, he wasn't... He wasn't into her or he wasn't attracted to her in any way. Whatever the case may be, he just, oh, no, I, no. Jeez. So Detective Lay bluntly comes out and says, you know she's missing. And without missing a beat, Sean says, yeah, that's what I heard. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, yeah, right. So once Detective Lay starts pressing the issue with Elizabeth... You can see Sean start to break down and try to search for answers as to who told him Elizabeth was missing. He starts pulling names out of his ass. Uh, well, Jane told me, and I heard from so-and-so at the Croc Center, like, that's where he's seen her before. He knows that she lives at Jane's apartment complex, so he's just trying to connect people that know her, which... Right isn't the case. So he also says Jane mentioned Elizabeth might have been admitted to a mental hospital or something. Detective Lacey's right through this. He's like, 
you know, if there's a missing persons report filed, police and detectives will call all of these places, hospitals, mental health facilities, morgues, trying to look for Jane Doe's that haven't been identified. Right. Uh, It's just part of their job. So at this point in the interrogation, Detective Lay is starting to become a little agitated. You know, he's like, you're just dancing around this, and I need you to be honest with me like you were in the beginning of this process. For sure. Mm-hmm. Pulling information out of someone is hard enough, but to connect two people to the same person in question is proving to be a little bit more difficult than they bargained for. Elizabeth called a number at 11 p.m. on August 16th, and that number belonged to Sean Great. Hmm. The plot yeah. thickens. Right. Why is she calling you when you only met her the one time and she was talking you to death, basically? Right. Lay presses Sean to say he had something to do with Elizabeth's disappearance, but Sean just shuts down. He literally just stops talking because, I mean, he's, he's stuck between a rock and a hard place at this point, not knowing what to say and not knowing what to fabricate because... If you don't know how to trace back your lies, you start saying other shit, and it's very, very noticeable. So he tells Sean, there are a lot of places the police are going to look through today. The home that he was being detained at is definitely one of those places. They're going to collect evidence and anything that could link him to Elizabeth. And, you know, if there's anything that you want to say... I'm going to give you this opportunity to be honest with me about anything you know related to Elizabeth's disappearance. If you aren't honest with me, it's going to be really bad for you. (laughs) So, Sean just, after uncomfortable silence, Sean says, so you don't know where she is? Big red flag. Right. Big red flag. It's like, that's what you choose to say, sir? Okay, we're listening. Yeah. So around the one hour, 23 minute mark, Sean says something real cryptic and creepy. He says, she's free. No more problems. She won't have to cry no more. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you chose to free her mind, quote unquote, or what? So here's, yeah, here's the dialogue between the two. Detective Lay, how did you set her free? Sean, she jumped on my back. Detective Lay, what happened? And Sean says, she came crying to me, saying how much she hated this world and everything, and she just wished she'd die. I gave up my life a long time ago to help people do things they can't do themselves. Oh, God. So he's, like, just, oh, my God. I just don't even know what to say. What a fucking idiot. What a monster. (laughs) Yeah. So as the dialogue continues between these two, it's clear that he wants to say where Elizabeth is, but he's reluctant to give up that information. Right. So they're dancing back and forth about the case of Elizabeth. And now there's a third woman who's being reported missing around the area. So this woman's unnamed, at least in the interrogation. I didn't hear it or see it anywhere. Detective Lay says, this is a big issue. All these women from the same area where you've been hanging out at. So appealing to Sean's human side, Lay explains that 
the families of these women are looking for answers. They're looking for closure. Any information will help get these families the answers they need to put their minds at ease about where their loved ones are. Sean just says, oh, I wish I could do more to help, but I don't know where they're at. <laughs> it's like, come on, man. After all of that cryptic, spooky, weird shit that you just said, then you're going to go, oh, man, sorry, I wish I could help you. It's really, really off-putting. It's fucking frustrating. I can't imagine the yeah. absolute anger that the the officers that are interrogating him are going through. Right. So there's there's a few more details shared doing, during the end of the interrogation um, that Detective Lay does. And it's what happened with Jane and her three days captive inside the home. It's like two and a half days. This is where we see Sean... Um, he takes videos on his cell phone of his sexual assaults. And we know from previous cases, this is trophy taking. Right. And this is the only instance we know of him doing such things. So I'm not sure if he did it to relive the moments or just to have it, or I'm not really sure if he is an aspiring, uh, you know, cinematographer or whatever <laughs> but uh this ain't the way you know god so of course we know this isn't the only interrogation sean goes through he also gets questioned by detective kim majors so this has been going on all morning so far and like 10 30 or so she comes in the room so he's already been in this room for well over two hours he's being detect you know Questioned by Detective James Lay. Now here's another detective. But she takes a different approach. And it's, it's interesting what ends up happening. All right, I'm excited. So she recaps the interrogation with Detective Lay. Uh, but she's, she's more nurturing, you know? She's got a softer voice. She's a female, which appeals to Sean. And she's appealing to his human side. And it's working in her favor calling him bud saying you know it's nice to meet you and uh she says oh yeah you've been going through a lot today so far haven't you you know just trying to get to know where he's at and right. what she needs to do to work out the information she's quoted saying sometimes good people do stupid things and one bad thing kind of turns into another bad thing Sometimes we make mistakes in a block of our lives that doesn't really define us. And sometimes good people just do stupid things. So this approach, coupled with asking him to come clean for Jane's sake, uh, using his feelings he has for her to possibly get a full confession out of him, to help her just get past this and move on and, you know, recover from this. So this fucking creep show decides he's gonna say jane just has a lustful mind and he's victim blaming her basically saying he wants to relieve her of her lustful desires and help her move on from that the fuck yeah like how much of a god complex do you fucking have oh my god yeah like every single situation right after this, she's sitting there. She's very, very calm. Her, her demeanor doesn't ever change. 
Bam, Sean breaks down. He starts crying. Detective Major says, you know, you're still human. He starts, he's crying, and it's really inaudible for a lot of this, like, sobbing, woe is me shit. And he said, his life doesn't matter. He said he's just ready to be put somewhere and thrown away the key. That's oh, all Oh, God, so we got a weepy face killer 2.0 here, or what? It's terrible. Or weepy voice it's killer, terrible. whatever the fuck his name is. So the guilt of the things he has done, it's starting to rear its ugly head. Oh, good. And you can tell. You can tell that Detective Majors is, she should have been in there first because of the way that she carries herself. It's very calming. It's soothing almost. It, it makes you open up like in a therapy session when your therapist is very, they're just calm and they ask open-ended questions so that way you elaborate. And that's exactly what she's doing. All right. Good for her. Sean Great says, my life doesn't matter, life to me. I died a long time ago on the cross. Whatever happens to me, it doesn't matter. It's a temporary life anyway. On the cross? Right. Okay. Oh, dude. The God complex goes up another level. So this pitiful display of crying, self-loathing, he comes out to Detective Majors about something that happened in the past concerning his mother and a lady that was selling magazines door to door. So, when the magazines were ordered and the money was paid to the lady for selling them, the, the mag magazines never actually came. So his mom's out 40 bucks and, with nothing to show for it. Okay. We've all been duped, okay? Right. Right. This, this isn't, oh, man, I never got my such and such. We all go to Taco Bell every now and again, and they always forget something. Oh, well, shit, you know, big deal. Right. So using the mom story to her advantage, Detective Major starts talking to Sean about Elizabeth, asking if he knows anything, including her whereabouts, saying, she has a mom, and can you help me? Can you help me find her? Knowing what she knows about Sean, this plays in Detective Major's favor. Sean says in his crying, woe is me voice, you're giving me a chance. You already know. Mind you, neither one of the detectives actually know anything. This is all brand new. They have no idea if he's even connected to her in any way. But he keeps saying these things in this interrogation that is like yeah now you're showing us that you did have something to do with elizabeth right detective majors asked the question can you take me to her with a soft but calm voice holy shit there's a plot twist for you he says i might not be able to take you to her but maybe to someone else Oh, fuck. And fuck. this is where I'm going to end part two. So you're not going to leave really it on a damn cliffhanger, bro. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> you're not going to understand everything right away. But as part three, um, as we record part three, you're going to understand so much about Sean and what he's actually capable of that you're going to probably be sick to your stomach. Oh. 
So that is part two of our Sean Great uh, debacle. And, you know, if you like this and, and you want to support us, go on over to the Facebook page. You know, we got Facebook.com, Monsters of the Midwest Pod. Our, our episodes are uploaded on there every Tuesday, as well as Apple, Google, Spotify, all that fun stuff. So go over there, like, subscribe, share, all that shit. And for our Apple Podcast listeners, um, give us a five-star rating. Leave us a little comment. It doesn't matter what you write down. Just throw up, a, throw us up the algorithm um, so more people that are into this shit can hear us, too. Get our names out there. We really appreciate it. Yeah. And always remember the code of the Midwest. Don't talk to strangers. Don't go anywhere alone. And lock your damn doors. And as always... We'll see you next Tuesday.